Well, welcome to the Faith Element Podcast for the December 25, 2022 session, focusing upon Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 20, Pondering an Earthy Christmas. I'm Daniel Glaze. I'm Nikki Hardiman. I'm David Adams. And I'm Burt Montgomery. An earthy Christmas. <laughs> I tell you what, I, I can't I like wait. It. I, I know. I know. I'm That's going to be great. It. Well, Merry Christmas, everyone. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Yes. So today, this the lesson is for Christmas Day, falling on, on Sunday this year. David Cassidy is out of town this week and next, and he made the very poor decision to ask me to sit in the hosting chair this week. So whatever happens, Really, does happens. he have good decisions to make for that? Not really. I mean, none of us are great at this. That's, <laughs> that's his thing. That's right. But what what was a good decision is that we asked David Adams to round out the cast. Hey, hey. David. Hey. Thanks. So Thank true. you for being here. So, Bert, we have the traditional Christmas story, um, <laughs> and uh, and I think you're going to help us take a look at it. Well, yeah, sort of, maybe. Yeah, many of our listeners, as you mentioned, it is Luke chapter 2, and it's the famous uh birthing story and then the shepherds. And many of our listeners probably associate this week's text with the annual viewing of the delightful TV cartoon, A Charlie Brown Christmas. Every year, we've I've been watching it since I was a kid. Linus, you may recall, recites this passage from Luke so wonderfully, from the King James, of course. And I often think of Linus and the Peanuts gang when I come to this text, but the second chapter of Luke also brings to mind, for me, the Ozark Mountain Daredevils and my friend Dale. Now, if you don't know, the Ozark Mountain Daredevils are a great 1970s band of rural hippies from Missouri, hence the Ozarks, and they recorded a few really great albums. And you might be familiar with the songs Jackie Blue and If You Want to Get to Heaven. Those are staples on classic rock stations. But there's an album cut from the first album called Beauty in the River. I always associate that with Dale and with Luke's account of Jesus's birth. It's a rousing, rural, woodsy spiritual about laughing, crying, living and dying, and waking up from the dead. And it may not fit your definition of a typical Christmas song, but I promise you, just as Jesus's mother, Mary, treasures the words of some shepherds and ponders them deeply in her heart, so also my friend Dale treasures the lyrics from these Missouri hippies and he continues to ponder them deep in his heart. A different Mary <laughs> met and married my friend Dale in 1979. They both loved the song Beauty in the River so much that they printed the lyrics in a wedding program. At the reception, Dale and his groomsmen sang it. And Dale used to joke with Mary that since he sang at her wedding, he'd sing at her funeral too if he had the chance. And the chance came. Far too soon. The day after Christmas in 2005, Dale's wife Mary was killed in a car wreck along with their 23-year-old daughter, Mariah. The lyrics to the song were printed in the funeral bulletin, and Dale sang it, or at least attempted to, at the visitation. I think it's important to note that 
as safe, as sanitized, as monotonized, monetized, and commercialized as we have made the birth of Christ, with our lit up plastic manger scenes, our office parties, our ugly sweaters, even this imaginary war against it all, that the, the actual event was nothing like any of that. God's coming into our world in flesh, blood, skin, and bone involves an insignificant unmarried couple who find shelter in a barn. Find shelter in a barn for the birth because no one would be bothered to make room for them in an inn, let alone a birthing suite. According to Luke, the first witnesses, and thus the first Christmas celebration, were not official religious figures or even important dignitaries. Instead, they were uncultured, uncouth, and unclean hard-living shepherds who traveled from their fields to find the king of kings laying in a pile of straw along with ticks and fleas and blood and placenta and dirt and tears and <laughs> lots and lots of poop, baby, and otherwise. The Christmas story dares us to believe that God comes as one of us in this messy joyous, foot-stomping, hell-raising world with all its injustice and cruelty, with all its beauty and hope and laughter and life. Every Christmas, Dale, and so many others that we know who have lost loved ones during the season find themselves standing in a river of tears reminded also of the terrifying, ter terrifying suddenness of death. Dale stands in that river every Christmas and begins singing the eternal mystery of hope and beauty in the river about waking up from the dead and soon finds his foot stomping along it with some common, undignified, long-haired, non-theologically trained country hippies as they let loose on a song about life, death, and God's creation the only way they know how. Just as... In today's text, some common, undignified, unclean, unprofessionally theologically trained sheep herders spoke eternal, transcendent, yet earthly words to a poor woman in a stinky barn who would watch her son grow up to be executed. And the sheep herders, according to Eugene Peterson's message translation, let loose. And they praised God in whatever hard-working, hard-living, livestock-managing way men might do as they returned to their fields. So as we discuss this text in our faith communities this week, let's celebrate the hope, peace, joy, and love found in the birth of our Savior from heaven. And by all means, enjoy the lights and the bells and the music and all the parties. But at the same time, let's keep the miracle of Christmas also firmly planted in this earthly realm in which we still walk each day. Thank you, Bert, for that wonderful introduction and for calling us back to the reality of the Nativity story. Uh, you're exactly right. We have really sanitized that story. I mean, in, in all popular depictions, artistic, otherwise— of the nativity, Mary does not look like someone who just went through childbirth. <laughs> and I mean, she's just pristine. They're all just smiling. It's not accurate in terms of the, the situation into which 
Jesus was born. Among the many miracles of the Christmas story is that God said, you know what? This is the situation into which I will be born. The utter unremarkableness, if that is even a word, of the whole situation. It's utterly unremarkable, not the way we would write the story if we were writing the birth of God incarnate. But God says, this is the way it shall be. And I, I really appreciate the, the reality check you offered us there. I agree. And I'll say, as a woman um, who has given birth, you're right. <laughs> it is, um, there is nothing sanitary about, and sanitary kind of in that, obviously, you know, if you give birth in a hospital these days, it's plenty clean, but the process is not simple. The process is not easy. Um, and if you've been in a delivery room, it is, it certainly is very messy and it is also holy. Each one of my children, when they were born, it was a very holy moment. Um, And I imagine that Mary felt that same holiness um, when she first laid eyes on her newborn baby son, Jesus. And I don't imagine that in that moment she was thinking about the future of his life. In that moment, if my experience is anything like hers was, she was simply falling in love. Mm. And to me, that's such a tender, beautiful picture of a simple girl, because that's what we would call her today, giving birth to a simple little boy and imagining what their life was going to be like. And so I think that because, and so Bert, I'm so glad you helped us to look at the text this way, because not only, um, I think, do we over sanitize the story of Jesus's birth in the ways that we have talked about, we also don't let it speak to mm-hmm. the universal holiness that is living in this messy life. Mm. Jesus was born into a messy, complicated world in which the powerful people were oppressing the people he was born to. Mm -hmm. And his birth would have brought them joy and delight and hope, even if he had not been the son of God. Mm. Well, I'm grateful that you shared this particular message, Bert, because I was looking to steal something for Christmas morning anyway. (laughs) And so now I, you know, I can just steal this. Everyone in my congregation is listening to this on Sunday morning that (laughs) anyhow, uh, again, we brought this up, but Nikki kind of touched on this too. And the way I was thinking about it is that when we look I mean, I don't know what your church looks like inside, but we look in ours, we have at least two nativity scenes up and all these other things going on. We have so cleaned it up. We've so sanitized it. We've just gone overboard to try to make it look more holy than the reality actually was. That sometimes I think it's easier for us to forget the fact that God sees the holy in the everyday. Mm Mm-hmm. And even these shepherds, they were holy people, mm-hmm. dirty, smelly, stinky, 
holy people, you know, who are out in the middle of the night being frightened by angels you know, off on a hillside someplace. Uh, people have trouble seeing things that way. They have trouble understanding a God that can see things that way, which is part of why we need this event to mm -hmm. take place. But again, every time we walk into some place and we see another nice, clean nativity scene with all the nice little painted things, I think it's a reflection of our fear of seeing the holy like God sees the holy. So that's really interesting, David. What that causes me to think of is, and I'm putting something together with what you said earlier, Bert. I think you quoted Eugene Peterson saying the shepherds let loose. Yeah, they let loose. Um, <laughs> so I've got family, you know, just one branch out on the family tree who are shepherd-like mm -hmm. people. <laughs> I'll just say that. And so weddings and birthdays, and they are... They are celebrations uh, with everything you would expect from, you know, uh, complete with the fish fries and Bud Light and from the can. Uh, and so, um, but, but Dave, you're talking about, you know, but that there is holiness in that ordinariness mm -hmm. and there is, there is joy in the simplicity of a not in the least bit complex kind of let loose. We've just seen something wonderful. And no, did those shepherds, did that one moment set them straight on a path of pristine theology and wonderful orthodoxy? All they knew is they experienced a miracle and they let loose. Mm -hmm. And if that isn't the holiest of things, I don't know what is. I'm just trying to think about my own family and some of our <laughs> some of our reunions. And yeah, that's what it was like, I bet. I'm kind of thinking about how glad I am to be in a church that prefers I not wear a tie all the time. Hmm. You know, and, and okay with that. But I, I think my people anyway, and hopefully a lot of other Christians, are learning somehow to see the holy is not tied to how we look on the outside, mm -hmm. but what we're enjoying on the inside and how we're being spoken to. There's, there's a, I know we dropped this word a lot, but there's an inclusivity issue here. You know, this idea that you have to be something to be sufficiently holy to be considered to be part of what we do, to be part of God's plan or part of God's party. And in the reality, no, the party is much bigger than that, and it's for everybody. And you can show up looking however you want or talking however you want. There's still space in that holiness for you. you know, and this is really demonstrated when you've got, again, these dirty shepherds hanging out in a stall and this scene from Life of Brian going through my head again, with things I can't say. Uh, you know, that's, just, that's just different regular people. Yeah, you know, the, again, mm. the Bible's for regular people, and Jesus' birth is for regular people, not just from some special class. That means a lot. Mm. Bert, that's your next book. The Bible is for regular. People. <laughs> you could you could write that's that right. book, but you know, and I I I hope I'm not selling our Lord short, but I I almost want to say Jesus did not outgrow this messiness. Mm -mm. No, you know, I mean, he. He lived his life the way he was born, hanging out with smelly people, with people we would say don't belong, aren't the, uh, aren't the right kind of people. And thank God he didn't outgrow that messiness. 
Okay, so I have something roll around in my brain, and y'all know when that happens, I'm just going to fumble through here for a second, <laughs> and then y'all will probably say it better than me. Okay, so I'll start. I saw, yes, I'm on TikTok, so um, only to scroll, not to post. Um, and I came across this woman, and she was talking about Gen Z. So these are the kids who are in college right now, um, and my daughter, who's a 15-year-old, is a Gen Z all the way down to like 12-year-olds. And she was saying that these kiddos went through the pandemic in their most formative times. Mm. And they saw lots of awfulness. They saw lots of death. And at the same time, um, there was so much uh, political um, and racial turmoil that they saw bubbling to the surface. Then she remarked that they also saw a slowdown. They also saw us playing board games at home because we were bored of binging television. They saw the world stop and not end. Mm. And she was remarking that she thinks they will hold on to that when we start to pressure them to produce and produce and produce um, the way that we have um, for so very long in our world that they're going to push back on that. And she was remarking that was going to be a good thing. And I started thinking about that in this conversation because I think not just the messiness, but we've also been talking about the ordinariness of Jesus and that the, the joy is found in being with one another because that is what God did with us. God came to be with us. God did not come to show us how to be better theologians. God did not come to us to show us how to build bigger buildings or how to grow our organizations. God came to be present. And I think that Christmas can be a time for us to begin practicing, not to simply practice for a moment, but to begin practicing finding the joy and the holiness in the ordinary moments with a loved one, and that life is not about growing and producing and monetizing and capitalizing, but that the life abundant that being a follower of Christ calls us to is slower and lovelier and simpler and ordinary. Mm -hmm. I think you're exactly right, Nikki. I so often the the ways that we have sanitized first Christmas, I think we we continue to do that. In our own lives, you often hear of people trying to plan the perfect Christmas for their family. And in closing, I want to share what I read Rowan Williams, former Archbishop uh, Archbishop of Canterbury, uh, write once. He says, the story of the first Christmas is the story of a series of completely unplanned, messy events. A surprise pregnancy, an unexpected journey that's got to be made, a complete muddle over the hotel accommodations once you get there. <laughs> Not exactly a perfect holiday. 
Well, friends, my prayer is that among the hope and love and joy of the holiday, we also seek to embrace the earthiness, the messiness, the realness of it, because that's the situation into which Jesus is born. And if Jesus isn't so bothered by it, hopefully we'll learn not to be as well. Thank you all for this great conversation. Thank Thank you. Thank you. Subscribe to the Faith Element Podcast on iTunes or Google Play. Learn more about our Faith Element Bible Study curriculum at faithelement.net. Faith Element is a service of Faith Lab.